At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. And good morning. Please be seated. Good to have you here. Um, we have a good show for you today, and I have three quarters of my voice found for it. Um, we had quite an interesting week. Last week, you may recall, was the day of the great Internet blackout, and um, quite a successful blackout it was because by the end of the week, um, SOPA, the Stop on, um, Online Piracy Act, was dead in its tracks. It created huge momentum. Um, sponsors of SOPA and the Senate com- um, companion bill were backtracking and withdrawing their endorsements of the bill. And so you, it was a, a monumental event um, for online, the online community. And the New York Times labeled it an um, Internet coming of age in, in terms of policy and politics. And when we come in our second segment, we're going to have someone from the firm that was um, played a major role in the grassroots advocacy in leading to um, that groundswell that we saw in response to SOPA. So we'll have um, Eric Martin from um, Beyond in the second half hour, and he'll explain a little bit more about his group and um, and how they pulled off what they did. And it's it's quite a remarkable story. Um, but there's a number of issues um, we're going to cover. Um, that somewhat are tangential to SOPA as well. And that is um, the first um, deals with um, Mega Upload. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit about the crackdown on Mega Upload. Um, There was a big bust. (coughs) Um, The feds um, cracked down and um, shut down the site and made a number of arrests, had a 72-page indictment, and um, 
which has raised um, issues as to, well, if they, if they had that authority, do they really need SOPA? Um, we'll talk about that as well. But also, it also re- unleashed retaliatory strikes by Anonymous against um, a number of um, sites such as the MPAA, the RIA, the Justice Department, um, the FTC, and the Copyright Office. Um, so um, we're also going to be talking about the Supreme Court decision that came out this week regarding um, the Fourth Amendment and the use of the police using um, GPS tracking devices in cars. And it's important because um, the, uh, this part of this concurring opinion by Justice Sotomayor um, gave a highlight of possible privacy issues in the future. Um, so we'll be covering all of that. But first, I um, just want to um, note that today is um, a certain historical day. Um, today was the day the um, Winter Olympics started. And um, the very first Winter Olympics was held. What name that was, Brasco? Wait a minute. Now, that would be like the 22nd or something like that, right? Oh, very good. It's 1924. Ah. In Chamonix, France, in the French Alps. And um, I have a feeling we didn't win hockey that year. But <laughs> it's also, since we're talking a little bit in talking about technology and, you know, both the dangers of technology, um, today is the anniversary of what is known as the Norwegian rocket incident. Um, and today in 1995, um, Russia almost launched a nuclear attack uh, against the United States because it mistook a, um, a Norwegian research rocket for a U.S. Trident missile. And that was despite the fact that the Norwegian government had given notice um, to everyone involved, but somehow it didn't get to the radar people. And so apparently the, 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 this has been confirmed that um, the Russian military went to Boris Yeltsin and with the nuclear football... I guess I don't know what they would call it a football there. but um, And he actually did enter the codes um, to be ready because I think under his law, Russian law, he has, um, once he's presented with the football, he has 10 minutes to make a decision. And um, by the time, um, apparently, the trajectory of the rocket um, switched and um, the crisis alleviated. But the, the, the fact that um, the, the football was activated and we came within 10 minutes of a possible a disastrous decision is an alarming thought, and uh, it's, it's useful to remember how you know we always talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but this very this often overlooked incident um, could have been quite disastrous. And um, surprisingly, Yeltsin was sober. Apparently, he was able to <laughs> he was able to punch in the numbers. But um, any event, um, the Supreme Court issued a decision this week on. Um, the uh, District of Columbia or Maryland case, um, District of Columbia case involving um, a use of a GPS tracking device in a car. Um, police were installed the device on the car um, to monitor um, this nightclub owner's activities and to you know, arrest them for um, drug activities. Um, and what's interesting about the decision, it um, was found to be a unit. Unanimous um, found that um, you need a warrant to track use GPS device to track someone's activities. That even though it's you know outside the house, um, it's in public. You are attaching it to the car, 
and that people would have a reasonable expectation of privacy um, in that event. Um, but there was um, this interesting divergence of opinion as to while the Supreme Court agreed as to why um, they, they agreed on the result of the decision. They all agreed that you know, a warrant was required. You had an interesting divergence. Um, you had um, Justice Scalia, who's always been, um, you know, he calls a strict constructionist and um, purports to interpret things as they were originally um, drafted, um, even though um, it's not always the case. But um, he has, um, he, he attached his decision based on the fact that the police were attaching to property of the car and that by making that invasion on the property of the car and attaching a GPS device, that, that was somehow, um, that's what triggered the warrant requirement. And um, both um, Justice Sotomayor and Justice Alito, um, you know, one of the leaders of the conservative wings, both disagreed with that approach because the you know, technology is changing and that really it shouldn't matter whether or not it is a physical touching of property or not, that really what you should look to is the ultimate um, you know, privacy implications. And so here's where it became interesting because we got to hear Justice Sotomayor really discuss this issue for the first time and um, – and she talked about the evolution of this issue in, in, in broader terms. Um, and so I'm going to read you a brief excerpt from her opinion because she's talking about this in very much stuff that is relevant to um, the Internet. And um, she said that um, – there's one passage here I just want to pull up um, about the need for privacy protection – um, she said, more fundamentally, it may be necessary to reconsider the premise that an individual has no reasonable expectation of privacy and in information voluntarily disclosed to third parties. Um, obviously, that's a very critical issue in, in Internet commerce. Um, this approach is ill-suited to the digital age in which people reveal a great deal of information about themselves to third parties in the course of carrying out mundane tasks. People disclose the phone numbers that they dial or text to their cellular providers, the URLs that they visit, and the email addresses with which they correspond to their internet service providers, and the books, groceries, and medications they purchase to online retailers. Perhaps, as Justice Alito notes, some people may find the trade-off of privacy for convenience worthwhile or come to accept this diminution of privacy as inevitable. And perhaps not. I, for one... I, for one, doubt that people would accept without complaint the warrantless disclosure to the government of a list of every website they had visited in the last week or month or year. But whatever the societal expectations, they can attain constitutionally protected status only if our Fourth Amendment jurisprudence ceases to treat secrecy as a prerequisite for privacy. I would not assume that all information voluntarily disclosed to some member of the public for a limited purpose is, for that reason alone, disentitled to Fourth Amendment protection. And so she lays down a marker for where 
Um, this ultimately, you know, this issue, this issue could ultimately be before the court at some later date, or at least lays down a marker for the framing of the privacy debate going on in Congress. And so it's a, it was an interesting decision for that reason alone. Um, it actually is not, um, you know, it is, it is just a concurring opinion. It's not the, the main opinion of the court, um, which ruled basically on property grounds. So, um, major development there but let's talk a little bit about mega upload now mega upload is um a service that actually was in the news um during the sopa debate because they had launched a um a video campaign that had a number of recording artists um from you know um, will i am from the black eyed peas alicia keys um p diddy um, all saying how they, they love um, Mega Upload. And um, it was timed in, in connection with SOPA. And what was interesting was that Universal Studios, Universal Music, um, somehow coerced YouTube into removing it on copyright grounds, even though the music was, well, it was not Universal's music. You know, there was music on the track, but it was their own, it was Mega Upload's music. And so, actually, a court is actually um, now asking Universal Music to justify their actions. Um, so, while they have this, that minor PR coup, um, oh, go ahead, please. Okay, I just got to jump in here because, uh, you know, Mega Upload is one of those sites where I have seen a lot of people going to put a lot of content up. It's a uh, look. There's a lot of those like peer sharing sites that are out there. They're you know very similar to what the Napsters were in the day, but now this is more for video. Let me tell you, look, you can't avoid uh, you can't avoid the fact that there's going to be sites like this out there. They're going to be pirating this content out there. But the here's, there is a difference. Yeah. Um, and I think what, what, what we're seeing here is that it's not the model that is being uh, indicted here. And then it's a 72-page indictment. But really, it's the, the management that's being indicted. Um, they had clear knowledge that this was being used for infringing purposes and even, you know, promoted that and milked it to, you know, from, from maximum benefit while still trying to play nice on the other side. And, um, and so that is what they're getting in trouble for, is that they acted knowingly and willfully um, when it came to copyright, but then, you know, tried to say the nice, you know, these, you know, play nice, just the same and hoping that it would escape liability. Um, you know, um, Ars Technica, which I don't know if you read, it's a great publication. Um, you know, they had a, a number of, um, you know, criminal law experts on to talk about um, the indictment. And uh, by and large, they found that it's, um, you know, that basically that mega, mega upload is in, is in deep due. Um, and interestingly, you know, do you know the name of the CEO? Brasco. The name of the CEO is Kim dot com. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if that was he. I think he changed his name to that, which you know, that in itself is reason for indictment. But um, and that the um, you have cases where you have an one here in one example, a mega upload employee sent an email to his peers about users who would receive payments. He described one of the uploaders who got a $100 payment as our old famous one on MU. Still some illegal files, but I think he deserves a payment. 
And so this is the pattern of no, you know, paying and knowingly paying for illegal uploads. Um, and the one expert said, um, James Grillman said, I think it's a pretty slam dunk case on inducement. Um, although he said, well, no one email is damning, but the totality of evidence in the indictment points, paints a pretty clear portrait of a group that knows infringement is happening, knows it's a major source of revenue, and trying to make sure that it happens. So um, I think that's part of what's going on here, is that you had a, a site, they're not trying to just enable an infringement to happen, but that it was its principal purpose. Um, you know, I think you, you're always going to have an upload sites that element. Um, but the question is, is do you take reasonable steps to prevent it? And um, here, it seemed that it was its reason d'etre. And so that is why, um, as much as um, some of the, some people may love mega upload, I don't know if you saw the video, but um, that is why I think they're now the target. But as a result, what has happened since then um, is we've seen Anonymous retaliate with vengeance. And in the last few days, they've taken down the sites of um, the RIA, the MPAA, the Justice Department, the FBI, um, the FTC, um, including the FTC's um, online safety website, and um, as well as a number of others. But we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get back after these messages from our sponsors. This is Cyber Stay Law. tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. From the creators of We Build Pages, experience the power of the Internet Marketing Ninja. An exclusively trained army of nearly 100 in-house ninjas. Mastered in the arts of social media, local marketing, content creation, SEO reporting, and yes, link building. The Internet Marketing Ninjas will release a new version of their legendary tools to the public. Visit imninjas.com. The ninjas are coming. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. 
Warning! Listening to WebmasterRadio.fm daily may cause Webmaster insomnia and an increase in your company's profits. WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay up with us all night long. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. Um, thank you for coming back for us. Um, we were talking earlier about the, the mega upload case. And um, in retaliation, um, we, in retaliation for um, the indictment on mega upload and for shutting down the site, um, we've seen a ret- um, retaliation by Anonymous that has brought when we started talking about some of the sites. And one of the sites actually was the FTC's online on guard, their web safety site. Um, in addition, um, there have been attacks on um, facilities in Brazil, El Salvador, Poland um, for their signing on to a copyright treaty. And um, it's really just been an amazing development. And um, you know, just the, the rate of um, cyber attacks that we're seeing so far this year um, in the new year. And, um, but um, I think that the mega upload thing does highlight one issue, though, and um, we're going to talk about that with our next guest in a little bit. But that is if we have the ability to address that, um, if we have the ability to take down a mega upload, you know, was there really a need for SOPA? And um, you know that is that's a fair question, um, because what you, you don't want to infringe on liberty, um, the way in which this would have been happening, um, if you're going to, um, if you don't need to, and so that that's that's a big concern, and that that's already been one of the big debates um, on this is you know why did we need SOPA then if we had this authority. Um, it is an interesting um, development, and um, but going back to um, mega upload, um, there was one. There was some interesting facts, factoids that I read about it, and um, the U.S. government um, seized the domain, grabbed fifty million assets, and then got the New Zealand police to arrest four of the site's key employees, including its founder. Um, and the site's employees were paid lavishly. A graphic designer who was a 35-year-old Slovakian resident, Julius Benko, made more than a million dollars in 2010. So these guys were really raking in the bucks. And um, in their own video, they, they say they account for 5% of the web traffic. And so I think this is um, the, definitely the feds you know, putting down a, a marker um, saying, okay, you, know, you got too big and we're taking this very seriously. Um, I don't. I, I think the timing in relative to SOPA is coincidental. I don't think you can um, turn on an operation like this overnight. So I, I do think it's a, it's coincidental, but um, it definitely is. Um, it's a dramatic development. Now um, let's talk a little bit about SOPA and the, the collapse of SOPA and leading into our next guest. Um, one thing that's interesting is that. Um, for years, the internet has been criticized for not taking public policy seriously. 
Um, I, I recall in 2004 being at a tech policy summit, and there was a major entrepreneur.com hero who bragged about not paying attention to Washington. Jump forward, um, I think 2006, um, you had um, the, some of the founders of Google actually making a, a visit to Capitol Hill. But rather than you know do the the standard hill um, door to door schlep, they um, they hung out at um, a Kimpton or some other trendy hotel, and and just made calls from there and said, hey, um, we're down here if you want to hang out, um, which wasn't the 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 way you approach Capitol Hill, and it was interesting. The very next year, when um, Schmidt um, became chairman of, of Google, and he actually made. A visit to Capitol Hill and went door to door as many CEOs do all across the country. It was front page news in Washington because um, Google had resisted doing so to date. But also, there was a certain tribal element. I think um, I think Washington was declaring victory that it got um, it got Google to play by their terms. But since then, Google's taken public policy very seriously and has quite a large shop in Washington. And a number of groups have started to pay attention. And what we saw here was wasn't just the big big players, although they definitely had a major role in mobilizing um, the grassroots audience. But what you saw was, you know, when you have groups like Tumblr and WordPress having major influence in getting this grassroots response, and overnight seeing um, people, you know, sponsors uh, de-sponsoring legislation. It's just something unheard of, and um, the New York Times actually referred to it as um, a coming of age for the internet, and that you know, it's really a sign that um, they're starting to flex their muscle and as in, as a grassroots tool. And what's interesting, and I've always thought it was curious, is that in over this period of time, you know, in, through several campaigns, and you know, most recently with the Obama 2008 campaign where we really witnessed the power of the Internet to mobilize people. Um, what was interesting was about the Internet, the inability to mobilize for itself as it was constantly getting out, outmaneuvered on net neutrality on Capitol Hill. Here you finally have the Internet mobilizing for itself. And so um, it's really, a, I think, a positive development. And um, I think the debate on SOPA is is not necessarily over because there is discussion of a um, what is called the the open um, web act um, which is a, a compromise bill by Senator Wyden which maybe we'll talk a little bit about in, in the next half um, but why don't we take a, a short break and we'll bring on our next guest and we'll talk about this remarkable campaign and, um, and how SOPA and how David beat Goliath after these messages. You there, Rascal? Yes, I am. I uh, had a somewhat of an important phone call to handle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, we just, we'll just take a break and I'll bring the guest down. We don't have to take a break. Uh, do we have to take a break now? All right, we won't take a break now. I'm just saying we already guest. took one. When did we take it? Tw- seven minutes ago. All right, all right, I'm with you. God, God forbid we, we 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 hurt these people. The live audience can deal with us dialing in our guests, but you know what? We'll just take it out there in the podcast. That's easy. All right, all right, all right, all right. 
Live radio is fun. It's exciting. It's magical. Actually, I want to tell you. I'll tell you what's going on while we, while you uh, bring in Erica onto the show. Yes. Uh, the call was because uh, last year I was, and this is cyber law related, uh, was a victim of identity theft and fraud. Really? Yeah. Someone was able to go ahead and hack into my social security number, and my address, so basically they can get anything they want. And I'm now. So what just happened was that was a call from a collection collection agency. Apparently, the second wow. collection agency trying to collect on an AT and T landline phone bill or and or internet bill that I never opened up. But yet, my credit report has a seven year fraud alert on it, and I have all the paperwork. I got the police report, everything that I need in order to go ahead and like uh, handle this. But that's what happened to me, and that call was just from them. And so supposedly. Someone called and said, I owe $551.38 on a phone bill. Wow. So I'll have to go ahead and make that call to AT&T a little bit later on and let them know they are sadly mistaken. It was something that was, it was a bill from February 2011. So it's been about almost a year since then. And now another collection agency is trying to go ahead and uh, go after Brasco. How about that? You know, that's the, the strange thing about identity theft, and um, that it's a good thing you're able to flag it. Um, <clears throat> Let me tell you, do you want to go through all the, the measures to get that happening? I mean, from going through... That's uh, never easy. That is, I know that for a oh, fact. That is definitely... And from going um, to the FTC and reporting to them, to going through and having to stop every possible credit card or merchant account or having my savings account and my credit card being wiped out, I had all that happen. All that wow. happened. So, yeah. Do we have um, Eric on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Great. Eric, um, we were just killing some time, um, but we're, we have our next guest. His name is Eric Wilson, and um, he is with a um, strategic communications firm known as Engage. Um, Eric, how would you describe Engage? So we're a, a full-service digital firm uh, specializing in politics, advocacy, and, and, and corporate work. Um, so what I like to tell people is anything that you can do online or need to be doing online, we can do it for you. Um, well, that may not be a good thing, but... <laughs> now, you're back when you come from a political background, right? You, you worked on the Hill... Yes, I, I worked on the Hill for, for a few years, and uh, now I, I focus primarily on, on working with Capitol Hill and, and, and helping people get elected to Congress. Now, how, how much of your work is, is – well, how much of Engage's work is, is policy-oriented? Uh, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we do have a couple of, of corporate clients um, and, and working with some uh, educational institutions as well as some nonprofits. But the bulk of our work is advocacy. And um, when you say advocacy, meaning you know, advocacy issue advocacy in Capitol Hill, or right, yeah. So it's 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 working on on things like um, energy projects, um, things like getting bills like SOPA and PIPA stopped, and uh, and then the the rest of that being getting people elected to Congress, uh, governors' mansions. We've worked with presidential campaigns so this cycle with um, Governor McDonald in Virginia, I believe. Yes, we did. We we helped out on his um, successful campaign back in two thousand nine, and also worked with um, the Republican Governors Association in helping out uh, Governor Christie in New Jersey. That was a close race too. Um, 
Now, um, tell me, give me the setup. How is it that you guys got involved in SOPA, and and how and how was it that you you launched this strategy? Yeah. So I mean, we as people who make our living on the internet, we we saw that there was. Um, there was a um, particular concern to how the the damage that would be done by SOPA and PIPA would um, would have an impact not only on what we do but on the clients we work with. So we worked, uh, you know, we worked very closely with um, co- you know some key figures on the right, like uh, Eric Erickson, who came out early against SOPA. In fact, threatened to primary some of the the co sponsors of the bill. As well as working with folks on the left, because this really was an issue that did not have a party line. No, it uh, didn't. It, it was it was really interesting, uh, unlike almost any issue that I've worked with before. And it and it didn't even fall down along regional lines either, because you had you know lots of Texas members who were against it, and um, Mark Smith was sponsor, co-sponsor, yeah. yeah. And then same thing in California. I mean, people, some of the folks that were in the Valley um, were, were against it, and then the people down in Hollywood um, were obviously for it. So it was a really interesting uh, project. You know, we, we needed to, I mean, the, the goal essentially is just to, to highlight how bad the bill is, and people will do the advocacy on their own with the proviso that we're making it as easy as possible. So... We our challenge was to make it as easy as possible for people to contact their member of Congress, whether that was tweeting them, Facebooking, or calling, or emailing, or even sending letters. So, um, I mean, that's the that's the challenge with any advocacy campaign is you've got to get people enthused about it. Um, but this was beyond anything that we'd ever seen before. Um, I mean, I would say that's probably more of an aggressive single day push than anything you saw with the health care bill. Um, now, um, now, tell us a little bit about your strategy. How you got the groundswell, and and were you? What was your role? Were you, were you one of the leading um, outfits in this movement, or? Well, I, it, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, one leading outfit. But we were definitely part of a coalition and, and getting people, um, making sure that folks on the hill um, had the resources, information they needed. Um, also making sure that the uh, some of the larger tech companies that were concerned about SOPA and PIPA uh, knew the most effective ways um, and you to devise, contact the Hill. You devised a social media strategy, and that seemed to be the turning point, right? Right. So back in November, actually, we had a social media lobby day, which basically you know turned the power of social media on the legislators. And so that was kind of the first rumbling. Uh, PIPA and SOPA really didn't take off as, as, as sort of public shorthand, you know, as, as they are now uh, until this year um, and towards the end of last year. I mean, phenomenal to see Lamar Smith uh, take up a bill in, in markup of the committee, the Judiciary Committee, and then have to delay it into another day, which is a minor victory for anybody trying to kill a bill. And then to have it delay into the next year was, I mean, it's just unheard of. Um, and then he keeps threatening to bring it up. Uh, but the immediate concern was uh, there was a vote scheduled for uh, yesterday uh, by Harry Reid to vote on the, the Senate version of the bill. And so that was where the big push came for the Internet Blackout Day. And so leading up to that, we, you know, we had a, our mission was to get 
reach out to those members of Congress so they knew when it came um, what what our concerns were, um, what the American people had to say about that. And so it's it's one of the things that we work with our clients a lot on is when you've got huge attention like the the Internet Blackout Day, uh, you've got to funnel that in the right direction. And so that's sort of what we did with the um, Vote for the Net campaign as well as Don't Censor the Net in, in making sure that legislators knew um, that the Internet uh, was angry about it and we, you know, this was an issue that we were going to take to the polls if we didn't see it resolved. Your, um, your blog has a, an entry, um, which by the way, your blog is um, EngageDC.com. And there's an entry, Revenge of the Nerds, how online activism is changing the way DC's biggest policy battles are fought and won. Yes. Is, is this the textbook example? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a great um, post-mortem by Politico on, on how the – what they call shoe leather lobbying or traditional lobbying where the, you've got these Gucci people. <laughs> what's that? Gucci Gulch. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got these people who are uh, knocking on the doors of members of Congress. They spent $94 million doing that to promote um, SOPA and PIPA. And, and they still lost. So, um, or they they're losing for now. We we still can't say you know that the bill's dead until it's actually dead. But uh, I I'd mark it in the wind. But the point being, um, that that sort of lobbying campaign is no longer enough, and people have started to realize that. But this is the I mean this is the end all be all for uh, an example of where you just can't rely on your access because the, you know no matter how good of a relationship you have with that member or how much campaign um, cash you've given to them uh, that they can't turn their back on public outcry like that so what we're trying to highlight there is that you know while some of the the uh, organizations who are opposed uh, to these piracy laws um, did use the traditional shoe leather lobbying they relied heavily on the new techniques. And, and there are a couple of good quotes in that Politico article from lobbyists who are saying, you know, this, these aren't the guys in the suits. These are the people in their parents' basements, which is obviously the per, pejorative right. term for people who work on the Internet. But, um, they left out slippers. Slippers, yeah. <laughs> that, that seems to go with the stereotype. But um, it, it, it's interesting. And uh, how many sponsors flipped? Well, actually, it, it, um, eight eight sponsors withdrew from SOPA in the House, and eight withdrew from PIPA in the Senate. Um, and and within the bulk of those were on a single day. I mean, it was that that it can't be stressed enough how devastating the Internet Blackout Day was to these bills. And and, and why was that? Because it just it focused um, it focused media attention or focused um, out. Outreach on a specific day, a specific item. Yeah, I mean, it was the the laser like focus, and obviously, it was a gamble for people like Google and Wikipedia to do that. Um, but users were, you know, obviously, websites like Google and Wikipedia have a better favorability rating than than Congress does, which I think it hovers about nine percent of Americans have a favorable view of Congress. So it wasn't that hard to get them on your side against Congress. But the fact that one, it was it was laser focused on a single day, and two, that it was so ubiquitous that we got so many sites involved in the blackout. It was impossible for anyone who would go on the internet on that day not to know 
about these bills and how their favorite websites felt about it. So, um, what was, it was the feedback you were getting from the Hill? Or were people just saying, "My God, my God, this is overwhelming," or you know, was it no different than anything else people were pissed off about? Yeah, I was. I was actually talking with a member um, th- that night after it happened, and Wikipedia had gone back up, and he 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 pulled out his his phone, and he was showing me every si- you know tweets were coming in almost uh, wow. <laughs> instantly, and he show- he said, "Yeah, I mean, this is this is effective. It got through to me." Um, and so, um, and then obviously, a lot of the the Hill staff who are doing you know research rely on sites like Wikipedia and Google to to get information, and and they weren't able to go there. So there was a real sense that um, staffers were very much um, up to speed on the issue. It was just a matter of making sure that the people who mattered got through to the 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 bosses, and those are the voters. Now, what, what do you think of? Um Former Senator Dodd's threat um, of retaliation for um, the administration backing away from SOPA. Right. I mean, that's I. <laughs> there's I mean, there's a petition on White House to put this in context for listeners. Um, Chris Dodd not only was he a um, Dem- Democratic senator for many years and his father before that, but he um, in during 1996 was the Democratic chairman <laughs> um you know he he oversaw the 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 um, convention for bill clinton in 96 and um so here you have the former party chairman threatening its current incumbent um <laughs> with retaliation and it's, it's 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 astounding it, it really was and 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 the, the there's a petition on whitehouse.gov right now and they have a policy of anytime something crosses 25,000 uh, votes or petition signers um, that they'll actually give an official response, and so by that measure, they need to give an official response to this. And it's the the fact that um, Chris Dodd uh, may be investigated for for bribery because what he's saying here is that we gave you campaign cash over the you know the years, and um, uh, you're not following through on this. Um. I, I don't know. That, that's that's kind of a stretch, I think, because you know it's we we backed you over the years, and we expect you. We thought you'd be more loyal. I, mean, I don't think it's you know you can link one contribution to SOPA, but right. uh, I mean, basically, you're saying you know we, we've been a friend to you for a long time, and you know we won't forget you know, we, we weren't a friend at this hour. Just to have it, I mean, people obviously suspect that that goes on all the time. You know, if a particular industry is giving donations to a particular candidate, um, there, there's that expectation. But for Chris Dodd to come out and make that so explicit um, is is really what's shocking. It is interesting, and um, I, I was very disappointed to see it. I mean, um, you know, I'm a Democrat actually, and you know, I've, I've met Chris Dodd. In fact, um, he gave me some. Yeah, I was at his suite the night of. Um, the end of the ninety sixth convention, and <laughs> and he he was he was tired as hell, and he said, "Guys, I'm, I'm going to sleep. Yeah, take whatever booze you want." Uh, <laughs> but um, any event, it's it, it is an interesting development, and but I think there's a misperception, and I, I you know you being on the hill and, and the lobbying, you know I think people sometimes wrongly think that um, it is a quid pro quo for every contribution. And I think a lot of times contributions just follow people who have those views. 
And, you know, if I'm up, you know, pro whatever, you know, pro ducks, um, you know, the duck lobby is going to give money to me just because I, I vote that way. You I mean, granted, when if I'm if I live in the middle of a desert and there's no ducks, and all of a sudden I start becoming a duck champion because I get money for it, that's different. But um, I'm getting the note. We have to take a break. Um, but when we come back, we'll be talking about SOPA, ducks, and all sorts of fun stuff with Eric Wilson. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. It's time for the 2012 SES Conference and Expo to make its way back to the Big Apple, New York City. SES New York 2011 makes its way to the New York Hilton March 19th through the 23rd. SES New York 2011 will feature over 70 sessions, nearly 100 exhibitors, and networking opportunities with thousands of marketing and search engine optimization professionals. SES New York 2011 will start with a high-profile opening keynote from Google's digital marketing evangelist, Avinash Kaushik. Don't delay. Come to SES New York 2012, March 19th through the 23rd, inside the New York Hilton. Register right now at searchenginestrategies.com. That's searchenginestrategies.com. As you know, being an expert at f- What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f- Whoa! You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- performance to the next level. The language! Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio. Oh. Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search, social, display, one platform. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes it easy to optimize and oversee all of your SEO efforts. Line-by-line detailed reports help you identify any problems and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. Drop into the Webmaster chat room. Webmasterradio.fm. Clothing is optional. Webmasterradio.fm. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. We have Eric Wilson here with Engage DC. Um, Eric, you're on. Um, you're up on Capitol Hill. That's right. Uh, right across from the Mar- the Marine Commandant's house here. Oh, okay, um, I know the area. And um, actually, when I, was, I went to law school at Georgetown, and I was house hunting um, <laughs> in that area. And um, right around that time, um, this was. Um, Unlike a, unlike a lot of East Coast cities, D.C. never really had organized crime. And so when crack came to these... We just have Congress. We do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when crack came to... Yeah, but Congress doesn't just distribute crack. When crack came to D.C., there was no distribution network really set up. And so there was this major turf wars and just huge amounts of violence. And, um, and so when I was looking for a house coming out of law school, I... Um, I looked at Capitol Hill, and uh, 
the um the Washington Post had a front page story the the day before I was going to meet with my realtor that had a map of all the shootings <laughs> in that area and you know it's improved so dramatically since then. It really but, um, any event, but um so in terms of um you know what happens next? Are you guys getting behind the Open Act? Yeah, I mean that's that is when there were talks about maybe we can make SOPA. More palatable, uh, or that's we can do some compromises on on SOPA. We made it clear that um, from our view, uh, the Open Act, sponsored by Daryl Issa, um, who's chairman of the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, but on top of that, just to, he gets the internet. He's been a great hero of the internet. We we made it clear that that is the compromise bill. So we'd like to see more members sign on to that bill as a better alternative. Um, to dealing with the 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 real problem uh, of internet piracy, and, and that essentially is a follow the money approach. Um, if we make it, if we can uh, eliminate the profit centers behind piracy uh, online, we can defeat the problem more than the the censorship regime that was proposed in uh, SOPA and PIPA. And, and just so for listeners to understand, the uh, what was objectionable about SOPA was that it would put pressure on service provider website service providers from hosts to even advertisers um, and encourage them to um, stop doing business um, with um, companies engaged in piracy or risk you know retaliation themselves and and the fear was that this would create a regime of self censorship now the open act um, create and creates a, a judicatory proceeding with the International Trade Commission, where they can investigate um, on an expedited basis claims of um, infringement, which they they already do. Um, you know, right now the you know, the Internet the International Trade Commission can stop, and the um, the Immigration and Customs Office can stop infringing goods at the border. The hard part is just knowing where they're coming in to stop them. And so you know, we, we already have a regime set up to do this. It's just updating it for the Internet. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the real problem. Um, the, uh, the Internet has made it so easy to share um, that, that it's really an issue of, you know, and I think this is the thing I kind of encourage um, lawmakers on the Hill to do, um, you know, especially within their own rules about technology in the House, for example, is let's not um, think about the problems that we have today, but think about a framework that will work for any innovation uh, down the road so we're not playing catch-up. And I think the, the idea of uh, the fundamental equation is uh, if I can derive profit from something, I'm going to do it. Um, and so if we can somehow eliminate that profit, I mean, because uh, if under like a SOPA regime, for example, where you're doing DNS blocking and all this kind of stuff, the the workarounds are so easy um, to come up with uh, that they'll be taken care of immediately. Um, the, it's the same thing that we see with Apple products and jailbreaking iPhones. Um, as much as they don't want it to happen, it's always going to be figured out. Right, and I think um, we well, I did some lobbying on on spyware legislation um, just to make sure that it, it wasn't improperly labeling cookies or um, even HTML as spyware. And the, the point we try to convey was, um, you know, don't regulate technology, regulate actions. Technology right. will change. The minute you pass the law, it will be outdated. And so that, that's the challenge. And um, 
So it's definitely this will be an interesting debate. And we only have a few minutes left, Eric. And I'd like you to to highlight um, your your group a little bit more. Um, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, well, we uh, we like to say that we're everywhere at Engage DC. So you can check us out at engagedc.com, uh, Engage DC on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me at, at Eric Wilson E R I C uh, on Twitter. What are some other issues that you're doing grassroots advocacy on? Um, so we're, you know, concerns about things like the Keystone Pipeline, um, which will, we, you know, we think will bring lots of jobs to the country and, and very curious that President Obama uh, ha- has put a, a block on that. Um, also concerned about um, uh, coal production and, and this administration's hostility towards that. But uh, within the company, my big focus is, is getting um, uh, strong... Republicans uh, elected to to the House of Representatives. Now, there's going to be a special election um, for Gabby Gifford's seat. Do you think you guys will take that? Because that was a long, long held uh, Republican seat before she got it. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm actually familiar with uh, Jesse Kelly, um, who is the only candidate so far who's filed to run. Um, he actually, we actually had a candidate who was running against him in the primary last cycle. And and so we're definitely familiar with that district. Um, I don't know that we'll reach out to him on that, uh, but we might work with some of the other organizations uh, and PACs here in town, try and send send him some money or whoever our nominee ends up being. But uh, I, again, that you know, uh, the Gabby Giffords incident was horrible news to all of us, and I think that it really has changed the way that the House. Uh, works, but uh, I haven't seen changes in, you know, members of Congress are, are so remarkably um, open uh, and accessible to the constituents. I think it would surprise a lot of people, but yeah, Gabriel Giffords is going to be a hard hard person um, to replace in Congress, um, but, but I, I do hope that that district moves over into the Republican column. Well, I guess uh, I, I, would, I, I would second your, your thought on the, the first half. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Gabby definitely has served remarkably well, and I've had the opportunity to meet and talk with her, and just see the enthusiasm she's had for doing that that the constituent service. I mean, that was the stuff that she really loved the most, and you know that um, Congress on on the corner um, was just really what she lived for, and and ultimately almost died for. Yeah, I can't tell you how many of those types of events I've staffed, and it, it could have been me, and it could have been my boss. So, right? I mean, it could have. Yeah, that's the sad thing, and um, you know, it made people think about security, and then hopefully, this never happens again. Um, but, and, but hopefully, it doesn't discourage people like Gabby Giffords, whether whatever party they're on, um, from getting involved because we need people with her enthusiasm, her energy, and her intelligence, and. Um, so, but Eric, it's been great talking with you, and um, I hope you consider coming back um, with, with your next web extravaganza. Um, and um, you definitely showed up K Street this week. Um, <laughs> so, congratulations to you, and um, thank you all for listening. Um, this this has been Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica. Um, you can catch us on iTunes on, or on WebmasterRadio.fm. So join us next week when we'll be back with more of Cyber Law and Business Report. Until then, court is adjourned. Thank you. When you need me, 
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.